the clear teaching of Scripture is that the kingdom of God is coming. And the, the truth and the reality of that has implications. That the kingdom of God is coming and it's necessary for people to be prepared. New Testament proclaims that. Think about uh, John the Baptist as he shows up. He's preparing the way for the coming of the King, Jesus, who will rule and reign forever. And the preparatory work that he does is calling God's people to repentance, to prepare and rightly respond to the realities that their King is coming. In fact, Jesus, when he begins his public ministry, his message is repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. It's it's important to prepare and to rightly respond to the coming of the king. We've seen, this isn't just something that shows up in the New Testament. Uh, We've seen through the books of 1 and 2 Samuel that this is the thrust of the Old Testament as well. Uh, That God had chosen a king for himself a king who would rule over his people. But the rule and the reign of that king isn't going to just be restricted to uh, some plot of land in the Middle East. But this king is going to be one who rules and he reigns forever over all people, over all things. If that's true, then we must prepare for his coming. And as we saw last week, part of what it looks like to repair for the coming of God's King is to respond rightly to His offer of kindness. We're going to see that again this week. As God's King extends kindness to someone else. So, if you would, look with me in chapter 10 of the book of 2 Samuel. This is on page 261. If you're following along in one of the black Bibles there in your seats. We are going to look at the whole chapter together this morning. So verses 1 through 19. So if you would, follow along with me there in your copy of God's Word. Beginning there in verse 1. After this, the king of the Ammonites died, and Hanun, his son, reigned in his place. And David said, I will deal loyally with Hanun, the son of Nahash, as his father dealt loyally with me. So David sent by his servants to console him concerning his father. And David's servants came into the land of the Ammonites. But the princes of the Ammonites said to Hanun, their lord, Do you think, because David has sent comforters to you, that he's honoring your father? Has not David sent his servants to you to search the city and to spy it out and to overthrow it? So Hanun took David's servants and shaved off half the beard of each and cut off their garments in the middle at the hips and sent them away. When it was told David, he sent to meet them, for the men were greatly ashamed. And the king said, Remain at Jericho until your beards have grown, and then return. When the Ammonites saw that they had become a stench to David, the Ammonites sent and hired the Syrians of Beth-Rehob and the Syrians of Zobah 
20,000 foot soldiers, and the king of Ma'akah with 1,000 men, and the men of Tob, 12,000 men. And when David heard of it, he sent Joab and all the host of the mighty men. And the Ammonites came out and drew up in battle array at the entrance of the gate, and the Syrians of Zobah and of Rehob and the men of Tob and Ma'akah were by themselves in the open country. When Joab saw that the battle was set against him, both in front and in the rear, he chose some of the best men of Israel and arrayed them against the Syrians. The rest of his men he put in the charge of Abishai, his brother, and he arrayed them against the Ammonites. And he said, If the Syrians are too strong for me, then you shall help me. But if the Ammonites are too strong for you, then I will come and help you. Be of good courage, and let us be courageous for our people and the cities of our God, And may Yahweh do what seems good to him. So Joab and the people who were with him drew near to battle against the Syrians, and they fled before him. And when the Ammonites saw that the Syrians fled, they likewise fled before Abishai and entered the city. Then Joab returned from fighting against the Ammonites and came to Jerusalem. But when the Syrians saw that they had been defeated by Israel, they gathered themselves together. And Hadadezer sent and brought out the Syrians who were beyond the Euphrates, they came to Halam with Shobach, the commander of the army of Hadadezer, at their head. And when it was told David, he gathered all Israel together and crossed the Jordan and came to Halam. The Syrians arrayed themselves against David and fought with him. And the Syrians fled before Israel, and David killed of the Syrians the men of 700 chariots and 40,000 horsemen and wounded Shobach, the commander of their army, so that he died there. And when all the kings who were the servants of Hadadezer saw that they had been defeated by Israel, they made peace with Israel and became subject to them. So the Syrians were afraid to save the Ammonites anymore. Let's pray. Father, we know that we need to be prepared for the coming of your anointed one. We pray that you would show us this morning where uh, we are falling short. We pray that you would show us this morning uh, the, the truth and the reality of Jesus' return. We pray that you would show us uh, what is needed in our hearts and in our lives uh, to be ready for the return of Jesus. Do your work among us, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. As we look at this chapter this morning, there's a lot of similarities between chapter 10 and chapter 9. In fact, I think uh, as we see the, the author of First, Samuel, or First and Second Samuel, he's arranging these accounts together, putting these two passages back to back is inviting us to compare them, both their similarities and their differences. Think of the the similarities. What we saw last week in chapter 9. There's Mephibosheth, the heir of a rival kingdom, to whom David, God's true and chosen king, extends kindness to him. Here in this chapter, we encounter the heir of another rival kingdom, Hanun, the one who was the the son of Nahash, who is now the king of the Ammonites. And David extends to him as well 
an offer of kindness. Do you see that in verse 1 and 2? After this, the king of the Ammonites died, and Hanun his son reigned in his place. And David said, I will deal loyally with Hanun, the son of Nahash, as his father dealt loyally with me. If you're following along in one of the black Bibles that's there in your seats, this has a footnote there for that word, loyally. So there's another way that it could be translated as kindly. In fact, it's the exact same word that's used in chapter 9 of the kindness that David was seeking to show to the heir of Saul's kingdom, and now here he is seeking to show kindness to the heir of this other rival kingdom. So what are we, what are we going to do to compare and to look and see, in light of these two passages being put up side by side, in this chapter, to, to whom is, is David extending kindness? What, what is their response? And then lastly, what is the result of their response? So, to whom is God, or is David extending this kindness, or who is God's king extending kindness? What is their response, and what is the result? And kids, if you want to follow along, something that you could do this morning would be to, uh, to make a, a, a little chart. What's the same and what's different? Um, sometimes this comes up in our kids' magazines. You can look at two pictures. And so what I want you to do is look at these two pictures. One, if you can remember about Mephibosheth from last week, and then looking at Hanun and his people this week. What's the same and what's different? And some of that will come up as we're going through this passage together. So first, let's, let's look and see. To whom is David... God's king extending and offering kindness. So, after this, the king of the Ammonites died. This one that David is extending this, this loyalty to, this kindness, is the heir of the Ammonite kingdom, an enemy of God's people. In fact, it was this nation that was attacking Israel that led to Israel calling out and desiring Saul to be their king back in 1 Samuel chapter 1. Uh, they were defeated. Uh, at some point, it seems, whether they became uh, vassals of, uh, of the people or if Nahash aided David, in some sense, David is recognizing he's, he has a desire now to show kindness to this other heir of a rival kingdom. And here, though, the question comes up, as we thinking about last week, we saw David extended great kindness to Mephibosheth, who is also the heir of a rival kingdom, an enemy of God and his people, but he was a part of the people of Israel. Is that the, the limit and the extent of the kindness that God's king offers? Is it restricted just to Israel, or does it extend farther out? And in fact, here, what, what do we see? We see that God's king extends his kindness to the nations. The Ammonites are not part of the people of Israel. They, too, are enemies. And yet, here we see God's chosen king looking in on their suffering, on their struggle, and on their pain. And he desires to extend kindness to them, 
to enter into their pain and their suffering and their struggles and their difficulty to bring comfort, to console them, to do something about it. You see, that's what, what David says. I will deal loyally, I will deal kindly with Hanun, the son of Nahash, as his father dealt kindly or loyally with me. So David sent by his servants to console him concerning his father. And David's servants came into the land of the Ammonites. David sees their pain. He sees their struggle. And as God's king, he desires to extend kindness to the nations in the midst of their suffering. Hopefully it's not too hard to see the parallels and the comparison of Jesus, God's chosen king who would come, one who perfectly fulfills the role as the king of God's people, who reflects the priorities and the heart of God himself. In fact, Jesus in Matthew 28, these are the last words recorded in Matthew's account of Jesus' life and teachings to his disciples as he's getting ready to go and ascend and be seated at the right hand of his, of his Father. And to listen, listen to what King Jesus says in verse 18 of chapter 28 of Matthew. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Here, King Jesus, the one who lived perfectly, who died on behalf of his people, but who could not be defeated by death, rose again, and now all authority has been given to him. In heaven and on earth, there's nothing that Jesus doesn't rule over. He is God's chosen and forever king. And what is his desire? He looks not just at Israel, but the suffering of the nations. And he, like David, sends out his servants to the nations to communicate and demonstrate Our king sees your suffering. Our king sees your struggles. Our king sees your guilt. And he has done something about it. Here we come to extend the message that Jesus is king and he offers his kindness to you. Will you turn and rest and hope in Jesus? Here we see the mercy and grace of Christ. But... Again, unlike David, David's kingdom was geographically limited. He just ruled over uh, the, the land of Israel that God had allotted to them. But Jesus, what does he rule over? Everything. There's not one square inch of everything in all of creation that Jesus doesn't look at and can rightfully say, it is mine. Therefore, if Jesus rules over all things, then it's not just Israel that must be prepared and respond rightly to the offer of kindness that their king extends. All of humanity must recognize and respond appropriately 
to this offer of kindness that Jesus, the ruler and king, not just of Israel, but what did he say? Over all of heaven and all of earth. How will we respond? How should we respond to this offer of kindness that God's king extends to the nations? Well, let's look back over in 2 Samuel chapter 10 and see how Hanun, how did the nations respond to this offer of kindness back in chapter 10? Maybe that will inform and help us figure out what is going on. Look in verse 3. But the princes of the Ammonites said to Hanun, their lord, Do you think, because David has sent comforters to you, that he's honoring your father? Has not David sent his servants to you to search out the city and to spy it out and to overthrow it? So Hanun took David's servants and shaved off half the beard of each and cut off their garments in the middle at their hips and sent them away. Here in Elizabeth City, uh, several, a couple of years ago now, uh, there was a desire extended to, uh, an offer extended to uh, our city uh, by uh, the, the government of another kingdom, another nation, Russia, uh, to set up a monument to Project Zebra down at the waterfront. Because back during World War II, uh, some, uh, some top secret testing and flying of a plane and of preparing for a mission for the Allied soldiers to conduct during World War II was happening here. And during those top secret tests, one of the planes crashed here in the river and men from multiple nations died in that crash. But uh, they extended this offer to construct this, uh, this monument here at our waterfront. But some of our city leaders uh, rejected it. They didn't view it as, a, as an offer as a, to, to honor the, the dead and to remember their, their sacrifice. They saw it as a conspiracy to bring down Elizabeth City. They thought that this offer of kindness wasn't an offer of kindness at all. In fact, they thought that what was going to be plugged into this monument down at the waterfront were microphones. And that they were going to spy on everybody from Elizabeth City who went and hung out down by the waterfront and get all of our top secret information and bring our community down. And so they rejected this offer and said, we don't want your statue on the waterfront. They ended up putting it up in Virginia Beach. Uh, but it caused some trouble. Uh, it brought some shame, shame on our community, but also insult and shame to uh, the nations. Because at our city council meetings for multiple weeks as this was happening, Russian news agencies were here and it was being broadcast around uh, the world of how we responded and our, our city leaders responded to this offer of kindness. Now you can rate the level of the offense that was given there and what was intended to be communicated, whether it was out, outright defiance against, uh, against Russia or just uh, coming out of ignorance. Uh, but there is no question about what we see here in this passage, that the response of Hanun and his men 
They've not misunderstood anything. They have set themselves up against God and against His anointed and say, we don't want to have anything to do with you. You see, this, this act of shaving off, it wasn't they just gave them a trim and their beard was three inches long and now it was a, an inch and a half long. They cut off half of their beard, one whole side of their face. Beards would have been a thing of honor for the men of Israel. And so to remove it was mocking them. Sometimes people would take, cut their beards in signs of shame. So it's almost as if they are ridiculing and mocking David's display of, of compassion to them by shaving off the half of these guys' beards. Also, they cut off their, their garments they wore. Uh, their dignitary garments that they would have worn to enter into the court of this king. Sometimes also you would have torn garments as a sign of mourning. But what Hanun and his men did is they cut it off at the waist so that the nakedness of David's men would have been exposed, being great shame to them. You see, this was not an act of just saying, no, we don't want your statue. This was an aim at mocking an act of defiance, an irrevocable decree of rebellion against not just David, not the servants. It was directed at David, but then what do we understand? What throne does David sit on? He sits on the throne of God. So this also is a rejection and a mocking of David and his God. And they continue to rebel against David. Notice the result in verse 6. When the Ammonites saw that they had become a stench to David, they go out, they recognize they have uh, provoked David's anger, his disgust. So they start hiring out, as was common in the day, to get people to fight for you and with you. So they go to get the Syrians and they begin to assemble other nations along with them and setting themselves up against the Lord, against his anointed one. In fact, later we see that uh, after this first battle, then the Syrians, once they see what happens down in verse 15, they then call and assemble all the Syrians, even those from the other side of the Euphrates, to come and, and battle with them. And it says, and then what they did in verse 17 is the Syrians arrayed themselves up against David and fought with him. You see what the mindset and the heart behind uh, Hanun and his people is they see this offer of kindness that comes from God's king. And they view it as jeopardizing their kingdom, their right to rule. They see this offer of kindness will lead to loss of their authority, of their power, a loss of their freedom. You see how they, they say it? You think that David's come to send comforters, that he's honoring your father? No, he sent his servants to search the city and spy it out and to overthrow it. From their perspective, to respond and receive with humility, this offer of kindness from God's king will result in loss for them. It will result in oppression. It will not result in freedom. How, much, how different is this 
from the response we saw in the last chapter. In chapter 9, when David extends this offer of kindness to Mephibosheth, the heir of Saul's kingdom, a rival kingdom, Mephibosheth enters into David's presence. He doesn't revolt against David's offer. He doesn't mock David. He doesn't reject it. He doesn't question it. He sees it as an offer of kindness as one who deserves nothing, who has nothing to offer. He humbly enters into the presence of his king, acknowledging and pleading only on his mercy. And David extends him kindness. Yet here we see the nations reject in outright defiance the offer of the king's kindness. In fact, Psalm 2, if you flip over, it's almost like David had this event in his mind when he was writing this psalm. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves And the rulers take counsel together against Yahweh and against His anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. The nations view the offer and the announcement of the reality that Jesus rules and reigns as a threat to their freedom. Mephibosheth saw the offer and the extension of grace and submitting to Jesus, or submitting to David, is bringing him great freedom and blessing. But is that not the heart of the gospel? Is true freedom not really found in humbly receiving the offer of kindness that Jesus extends to the nations? Of letting go of all claims we have to any authority and any power, turning from our rebellion against our God, Acknowledging that we will not rule and reign, but we submit and trust, our, and trust ourselves to King Jesus. To His life for us, His death for us. Recognizing like Mephibosheth, we have nothing to offer. We are as good as dead apart from His mercy. Yet when we receive the mercy of Jesus and we submit ourselves to Him, far from our lives being restricted, far from us experiencing oppression, It's only when we live our lives in submission to Jesus and under His authority that we find true freedom. Unlike Hanun and the nations who hear the announcement and the proclamation that Jesus rules and you don't, and He extends kindness to you, they see it as a threat and an end to their freedom. To some, the proclamation and the announcement of the good news of Jesus is the aroma of life leading to life. But to others, the proclamation and the announcement that Jesus rules and reigns is the stench and the smell of death leading to death. It's not good news because it means I don't rule. I'm not in charge. I don't get to say what I do in my life. I must submit to Christ. How will you respond to this offer of kindness that Jesus the King extends to you? Proper preparation for the coming of His kingdom means that you hear this proclamation, this announcement. Jesus has sent His servants out and is proclaiming to you 
that kindness is extended from Him. Forgiveness and mercy and grace and life and redemption can be found in Christ. Will you respond? Will you humble yourself before King Jesus? Others of us who would say that we are already followers of Christ, we must hear this as well. Jesus' heart is for the nations. You haven't just been saved and redeemed to sit cozily at Jesus' table, but you've been saved and redeemed to be sent out. This is from the beginning. Abraham was blessed that he might be a blessing to the nations. King Jesus sends his servants out to make this proclamation and this announcement to the nations that our king rules and he reigns and he is a gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Would you receive and respond as offers of kindness and mercy and grace and forgiveness and come find all that you are lacking and longing for in him? But guess what? Just like the servants of David were rejected and shamed, just like the, the apostles of Jesus were rejected and shamed, you too, as you carry out this message of kindness and mercy from our King to the nations, will be rejected. What we need to remember is that it doesn't mean that David lost. It doesn't mean that Jesus lost. They're not rejecting you. A rejection of you, the people of God, is an assault and a rejection of King Jesus. And that response will not go undealt with. We, we've seen already to whom the king is extending kindness. It's to the nations. We've seen how they have responded by rejecting this offer of kindness. What then is the result? Look back in chapter 10. Once David hears of their gathering for battle, it's then in verse 8, or verse 7, it says, And when David heard of it, he sent Joab and the host of his mighty men. Notice David doesn't initially respond by gathering up the army and saying, let's go bust them for this insult. It's only when they continue to double down and raise up their army that David then goes out and says, okay, you're going to assemble yourselves against me and against God. Then we are going to have to do battle. And so David goes out and he battles them. And notice what Joab says is going on. This isn't just David against the Ammonites. It's not just Israel against the Ammonites and the Syrians. Be of good courage and let us be courageous for our people in the cities of our God and may Yahweh do what seems good to him. Joab recognizes that what's going on in this little battle is a picture of what God is doing to those who oppose and rebel against him and his king. And the result is that the Ammonites flee before the people of God. The Syrians flee before the people of God. And David is victorious. Then, when the Syrians see, well, if the Ammonites have lost, we're not just fleeing. They don't learn from this evidence that those who rebel and oppose themselves to God's king will be destroyed. They flee and then call up reinforcements. 
They gather all the Assyrians from far away, even over the Euphrates, to come together to battle and assault God and his king. And what is the result? The same result. In verse 18, the Syrians fled before Israel. And David killed all the Assyrians, the men of 700 chariots and 40,000 horsemen, and wounded Shobach, the the commander of their army, so that he died there. This is what Psalm 2 tells us, is it not? This is the result, not just of what will happen to the Ammonites, not just what happened to the Syrians. Listen to what Psalm 2 tells us. They gather themselves together against the Lord and against His anointed. Let us burst their bonds apart and cast their cords away. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then He will speak to them in His wrath and terrify them in His fury, saying, As for me... I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill, and I will tell of the decree. Yahweh said to me, you are my son. Today I've begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. What is the result? King Jesus is coming. And He rules and He reigns. And all those who set themselves up against Him will meet the same fate. He rules with a rod of iron. And He will dash the pots to... Sorry. I didn't test this at home, so... He will dash it with His rod of iron like one breaks pottery. It's destroyed. What hope does this pot have against the rod of iron? None. None. What hope do we have against King Jesus? We do. We do have hope. Listen to Psalm 2. Now therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest He be angry. And you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. What did we see was the result of Mephibosheth? He took refuge in David's offer of kindness. And what did he experience? Adoption, forgiveness, love, mercy. One option is to reject the king's offer of kindness. And we will experience His wrath. We will be destroyed. The other offer is to receive His offer of kindness and to experience the blessing that comes from finding and taking your refuge in Him. Now you may say, "Ah, this is the God of the Old Testament, a God of wrath. Jesus isn't like this. Listen to what it says in the book of Revelation. This is the last book of the Bible. If John or the Lord was wanting to to, to make sure that we understood rightly, that we'd misunderstood Jesus up to this point, listen to what he says in chapter 11 of Revelation. The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. And the 24 elders who sit on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshiped God, saying, We give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, who is and who was, for you have taken your great power and begun to reign. 
The nations raged, but your wrath came. And a time for the dead to be judged, and for rewarding your servants, the prophets and saints, and those who fear your name, both small and great, and for destroying the destroyers of the earth. Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming both with wrath and reward. The difference in what we experience depends on how we respond to his offer of kindness and grace. Here is offer this morning. Respond appropriately. King Jesus extends his offer of kindness. How will we respond? May it be that you and I take our refuge in him. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you uh, for your mercy and your grace. We thank you for the free offer of the gospel. We thank you uh, that there is hope. You have not returned. There is still the offer of grace and mercy for your people. We pray that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to believe and that we would receive and respond to your offer of kindness by taking refuge in you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.